You're listening to Nightlight Radio Network. This is Dr. Bob Hieronymus, co-host of 21st Century Radio. We are happy to present this rebroadcast of our show on Nightlight. Welcome back to 21st Century Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Bob Hieronymus, and our executive producer and research assistant is Laura Cortner. Our engineer is Anita Brockington. Now, over the past 30-plus years, we focused on Bigfoot, Sasquatch, Skunk Apes, with guests Bob Chance, Lauren Coleman, Stan Gordman, Patrick Weege, Stan Johnson, Rover Krantz, and our dear friend who now has passed on, Dr. Rory P. Mackle. And tonight's guest also has joined us on this topic, David Hatcher Childress. Uh, one program on Bigfoot that we focused on, just uh, just a survey of Maryland sightings. You know how many big feet, <laughs> Bigfoot, have been seen in Maryland? Uh, well, we covered all that a long time ago in Baltimore County, Parkville, Harford Road, Carroll County, White Marsh. And maybe you remember the Bigfoot Digest. What a book. What a nice little booklet by Mark Opisosnik which has, was a survey just of Maryland sightings, hundreds of them. You may even remember when in 2011, when it was claimed that I, Dr. Bob Hieronymus, a mere five and a half feet tall, hoaxed Bigfoot when uh, the newcomer, uh, George Nori, George Nori actually thought that was me in a <laughs> Bigfoot uh, a uniform, if you want to call it that, call it that, walking around. Uh, that is hilarious. Uh, fortunately, uh, they, they, everyone realized that that certainly wasn't me. And uh, as a matter of fact, in the book that we're going to talk about tonight, it mentions there a Bob Hieronymus on page 104. That's not me. Uh, that's another Hieronymus. There are at least four or five. There's at least four or five Bob Hieronymuses in the state of Maryland. And uh, they, they do some very strange things that I get blamed for. David Hatcher Childress is a, our guest tonight, both hours. And this is his 13th appearance on 21st Century Radio over the past 30-plus years. This is the longest show of its type on the paranormal in the world. First, uh, he joined us in 1989 and then was last with us in 2006. His book is Bigfoot Nation, The History of Sasquatch in North America, published by Adventures Unlimited Press. Longtime cryptozoology researcher David Hatcher Childers takes us on a tour of Bigfoot Nation, the apparently real world of Bigfoot around us in the United States and Canada, surviving in the shadows and suffering from loss of habitat, Bigfoot has had a huge number of encounters with humans, many of which are chronicled in this book. In these meetings, Bigfoot has been found to be curious, dangerous, and even amorous, depending on the circumstances. Whether real or imagined, the fact that Bigfoot has made his way into the psyches of Americans and Canadians cannot be denied. He appears in commercials and movies on roadside billboards and stamps. In fact, Bigfoot is everywhere trying to maintain his lifestyle on the fringes of modern society and gently creeping into our dreams, 
and you can join David on this wild ride through the Bigfoot country, beginning the very first reports from the 1800s, continuing through today. His other books were Vermana, Ark of God, Technology of the Gods, Yeti, Sasquatch, and Hairy Giants, The Lost World of Cam, and Ancient Technology in Peru and Bolivia, Pirates, and the Lost Templar Feet, The Mystery of the Olmecs. Welcome back to 21st Century Radio, David Hatcher Childress. Hey, Bob. Oh, you're there. I'm here. Hey. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's great to be back on your show again. Yes, what was it? Let's see. That was 2006. Is 12 years? It's been a a while uh, since. Yeah. Really since the Ancient Aliens show has been on on the History Channel. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Well. And that started right around that, that same time. Well, tell us about how you came to write this book, Bigfoot Nation. I've always been fascinated with, with mysteries and uh, the unexplained paranormal. And I actually met Roger Patterson uh, as a kid in Durango, Colorado, in in the mid-'60s, right before he... Uh, <laughs> Uh, faked, supposedly faked, the the famous movie footage, uh, film footage in 1968. And, and you know what? I thought, Bob, too, that when I first read that it was alleged that uh, a guy named Bob Hieronymus uh, had faked it, when it with Roger Patterson in a gorilla suit, I thought it was you, too. And I thought, wow, it couldn't be, you know, the, the radio Bob Hieronymus. And it, it was later, yeah, I realized, as other people did, that it's another guy named Bob Hieronymus, and, and it's not you. Well, there there are several Bob Hieronymuses in the stadium. One, one of them, one of them, uh, likes, was caught taking underpants off of various clotheslines in the state of Maryland. Uh, so you can imagine how that was when I had to talk, talk to other people who... who uh, I don't know why he had to collect other people's underpants, but that's the way it goes. I guess maybe Bob Hieronymuses in general are very strange people. Now, so you met Richard Patterson. Roger, Roger, Roger Patterson. Patterson, yeah. Sorry. As a young, uh, just I was in a junior high, I guess, and I actually bought his original book uh, after his lecture, which included uh, audio tape of a Bigfoot yelling and screaming, uh, but this was before he had taken the famous Bluff Creek uh, movie footage that is so famous today, and uh, I think is authentic, Um, but I discuss the whole idea that it it was, uh, you know, possibly uh, faked, and and of course, I mean, uh, it is such good footage that it's either either an elaborate fake or, or it's real footage of Bigfoot. So I've always been interested in these things. As you know, uh, I've written a number of books, uh, Extraterrestrial Archaeology. I'm fascinated with, with UFOs and the moon. Ancient Aliens is a great show. It's fun being on that. Uh, I know Eric Mondonikin and, and Giorgio very well. I've, I've known them from before the Ancient Alien show. They're, they're both great guys. We're, we're all very good friends. And but my interests are wide-ranging, so I'm... I'm mostly known for really my books on ancient civilizations and lost cities, the 
ancient technology in Peru, those H-block stones and things like that. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, but my interest also is, is very much also with Bigfoot and cryptozoology, the natural world. I'm a scuba diver. Uh, I love Indiana Jones, and, and uh, Ivan T. Sanderson was a big hero of mine. Oh, and he was gosh, interested in yes. all kinds of things. I, you, you perhaps knew him, Bob. Ivan C. Sanderson, yes, yes. Uh, I'm, I'm so glad you mentioned his name. Uh, it's, I think he did some really marvelous work and research. And were you always interested in this? I mean, from when you were a little uh, David Hatcher Childress, uh, did, did this appeal to you then, or did it just come along gradually? Since I was, yeah, just a, uh, a young kid uh, watching Johnny Quest cartoons and Voyage uh, to the Bottom of the Sea and then oh, yes. Man from Uncle and, yeah. and whatnot, I was, a, you know, a typical kid growing up in the in the sixties. And at that time, Bigfoot was in the news. Uh, as, you know, I, as you remember too, TV shows were the Invaders and the Time Tunnel and. Uh, we were all geared up to that, and mm-hmm. and then Chariots of the Gods came out. That was a super hit book. It sure was. And it was a movie in the movie theaters. I went to see it in the early 70s, um, and I was probably junior high then, too, or just uh, a freshman in high school or something. You probably saw that movie of the uh, movie theaters, too, Bob. A couple of dozen Chariots times. Of the Gods. Yeah, sure. It certainly... Certainly woke up a lot of people, and, and uh, you <laughs> well, know, got it all going. I, I think the the late sixties and the, and the seventies, all this was just so popular. Uh, Bigfoot and ESP, uh, those Lobsang Rampa, Third Eye books, and all those kind of things. People were were fascinated by all that, and, uh, and pop music drove it as well. The the Beatles and the Rolling Stones and the Grateful Dead and and all those guys. And I, so I was always interested in those things, and I loved to travel. I my parents like to travel. I was born in France, actually. My my parents are Americans, but um, my father was a lawyer in the army. My my mother was a French major, and they took me as a little kid to Stonehenge and to the Greek ruins, and we went to Turkey as well, also down to Mexico and saw the, the climb the pyramids there as a little kid. So. It, it, I wrote a story about Atlantis, which, having been to the Greek island Thera or Santorini, where, and if you've, I know you've probably been there, Bob, but whenever you go there, certain places, uh, it's they play up uh, Atlantis as part of their tourism thing. Uh, Santorini does that for sure, and you're drinking Atlantis wine, the local radio stations, the Atlantis radio station. Yeah. And I've always been interested in those things, and I've written a number of books on Atlantis, yeah, and also on on ancient India and and ancient Egypt, the Osirians, Lemuria, and Mu. I've always been fascinated by all that, and I'm a I am a believer in these ancient civilizations, Vimanas. Um, and then, then there's the extraterrestrial component too, the ancient astronauts and and whatnot. So, so my wide interests cover all these things. And Bigfoot there too, and then and as you know, the Bigfoot bizarrely can cross over into the whole UFO and paranormal field. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, we'll get to you that. Know, Bigfoot. Yeah, we'll get you know, to that. Fly uh, UFOs and 
jump out of spaceships with a ray gun in his hand like a Wookiee on Star Wars. Mm-hmm. You know, um, a lot of people believe that. I, and I do talk about that in the book. That's true, yeah. Well, let's go to Chapter 2. Chapter 2 is about 1800 to 1899. The Wild Men of the Frontier. What are the earliest reports going back to the 1800s? With early reports really uh, start in Canada, but also in, um, in New England, and, and they coincide a, a lot with the, the, the beginning of printing presses and newspapers. Um, we need the press, the free press, <laughs> to uh, report these things and what's going on. So that was starting right around 1800, and that's when these earliest reports of, of wild men and the occasional uh, gorilla, they didn't have the name. Uh, Bigfoot, then, that the name for Bigfoot didn't come in until 1957, actually, uh, in, in Northern California. I'll tell you that book story in a minute. But so you have these different <sighs> stories of people, and the wild man is out there. Uh, in British Columbia, you you actually have a cluster of of people being, even a woman being kidnapped, by Sasquatch, the, the word Sasquatch comes from an Indian tribe there. So it all starts just sort of seeping into the news a little bit. A wild man here, a, a, a gorilla or something there, occasionally using the word ape man. But then what happened was, get this, and uh, I'm able to reprint this whole story uh, in the book, that uh, the Daily Telegraph, the Washington, D.C. newspaper, published this story on April 3rd in 1877. And it's about a wild man who's been captured in Pennsylvania, and he's being kept at the Smithsonian in a cage. He's on exhibit. It's, um, they're having sort of centennial uh, celebrations and things like that. And this is in Washington, D.C., uh, this front page of the newspaper. And what the story then goes on to say is that Apparently, at some point, he, he wasn't kept in this cage, and he attacked a woman and started to tear her clothes off, and then they put him back in this cage, and that the Smithsonian was exhibiting him, essentially. So here we have a story also involving the Smithsonian, which has been, uh, it, they've, it's been claimed that the Smithsonian has been involved in certain cover-ups in the past, including those uh, Egyptian caverns and things like that uh, in the Grand Canyon. That was also a story that appeared in 1909, some years later after this story, claiming that Smithsonian was doing these investigations into these caverns and uh, what, were, what were specially man-made caves in the Grand Canyon. They had Tibetan and Egyptian-type statues and uh, swords and spears and stuff like that, uh, mummies as well. So now, back to 1877, here's a story basically saying that a, a captured Bigfoot is being exhibited in Washington, D.C. by the Smithsonian. But then we don't hear anything about it. Again, this, this is a real article, and I, I reprint the actual little, little microfilm shot of it. And either So either the Smithsonian, and there's other stories as well that you, of in the 1800s, of Bigfoot being captured, uh, young Bigfoot. So it's either a, a hoax by the newspaper just making this up, 
or else they had a, a Bigfoot on exhibit and and somehow took it off exhibit. And now it, it, the Smithsonian, their own records would somehow show this. And this, in a sense, is a, the beginnings of what I suspect is, is something of a cover-up about the existence of Bigfoot. Well, there certainly are other researchers that have been saying for the past decade that the Smithsonian has, uh, uh, whenever they come across some of these very large bodies or bones of bodies and things of that nature, somehow trash them, throw, take them out into the ocean and throw them away. Do you know anything about that? Well, people are often talking and asking about, you know, where's the evidence for Bigfoot? And, and you know, wouldn't the government have found one by now in the Army? And then there's some interesting stories about that, to say the least. So then we have also the, the chapter then about the first Bigfoot photo. Let's take a pause here because we need a break right here. And then we'll come back to that. This is uh, David Hatcher, Childress, Bigfoot Nation, History of Sasquatch in North America, Adventures Unlimited Press. We'll be right back after this. Hi, I'm Glenn Kreisberg, author of Spirits in Stone and co-founder of the Overlook Mountain Center in Woodstock, New York, overlookmountain.org. And you're listening to 21st Century Radio with Dr. Bob Hieronymus. Keep listening. We are back and returning now to our guest. Now, David, you were just getting ready to launch us into another area. What was that? Yeah, Bob, the the whole issue of, of photos of Bigfoot. And what I started in my, my research for this book, and I did a book on Yetis and Sasquatch uh, prior to this one as well, is looking for all the, the photos and images I could find, and, and there's a lot more than you would think. Um, I've probably got the most photos of Bigfoot uh, ever in, in collected in any book, and I, I, had to, uh, I had to pay for a number of them, and which, which, which is fine. One of the most interesting, uh, and I have as a chapter in the book as the oldest known Bigfoot photo, was a photo that was taken in 1894 in Lillooet, British Columbia. This is uh, sort of west-central British Columbia. It's, it's a town full of salmon. The Hudson Bay Company uh, has big offices there. And this photo was taken of one of five, and it's, it's in my book, and I printed in quite high quality in the, and in the color section as well, although it was a, it was a black-and-white photo. Was uh, photography was just really beginning there? Um, it would it would really be hard for there really to be a photo of Bigfoot. They would be older than say 1880 or something. But here's one from 1894. It was kept secret for years in their offices. That's what the guy who he he sent it to some Bigfoot researchers and eventually uh, Janet and Colin Board got a hold of it, republished it in in one of their books when in a in a reprint. And uh, my buddy Lauren Coleman put it, and, and Craig Woolheater, they put it on their Crypto Mundo site, but, so it's in my book. The photo is a very clear daytime photo. It's of a dead Bigfoot, and he's, he's in the snow. Uh, it's a large foot uh, photo. There's a, there's a pair of snowshoes 
that are part of the picture. There's some kind of building and a bunch of trees in the background. Yeah. It's a Bigfoot dead on the ground. He's covered with fur. He's got very furry hands. And, it, it, again, it's either uh, an elaborate hoax or this is a clear daylight photo of a Bigfoot. And, and literally, it was kept secret by the Hudson Bay Company. And a guy who knew about it, this is the story, he snuck in, and, and it, they allegedly had five photos. We only really have this one. And he stole it from the Hudson Bay Company. This was like in the 1920s, and then kept it in the family, and then he finally sent it away. So it's astonishing, really, that we even have a photo this old, and it's a clear photo. We didn't really get any more photos of Bigfoot until uh, the late 40s. There was a, uh, there's a, is a photo of Bigfoot that, that's uh, in my book as well that was sent to a guy in, in Denver named Joe Fex. But then it was really, it wasn't until Patterson in the 60s that we started getting more photos. And, and I talk about this in the book, Bob, how what there were just we, the evidence that we really had, and it, you know, this is what Grover Kranz, of course, is uh, such an expert on, was the footprints. And it was it was in 1958, really, that a that a guy, he was a bulldoze operator named Jerry Crew, and he was up in the uh, Bluff Creek area of Northern California. This is. This is near the Oregon border. It's where Roger Patterson eventually went to as well. But in 1958, Roger uh, Jerry Crew was he was with a crew putting in a road through that area, and it's it's super rugged. Uh, there's very few little towns around there. This is all west of Mount Shasta. Uh, there's not really in this part of California the nearest. Big towns are actually uh, in Oregon, uh, but it's heavy forest. Uh, it gets a lot of rain there. There's an Indian reservation nearby there called the Hoopa Indian Reservation. Uh, those people are very well uh, versed in, in Sasquatch. And what happened was Jerry Crew then, one day, he would come back to his bulldozer on this muddy logging road that he was cutting east to west across this this remote part of California, and he would come back in the morning uh, onto this muddy road to his bulldozer, uh, driving uh, a four-wheel drive up this road, you know, from wherever town he was staying in. And he would come back to his bulldozer, and he would see these big footprints in the mud, very clear, human-like uh, footprints with the toes and, and everything, but they were gigantically huge. And and he he was stunned by it. He had, he'd never really heard about this before. He began coming. It was going on for, for days. And finally he came back with Plaster of Paris, and he be, became really, like, in a sense, the, the first guy to really do this. And he took Plaster of Paris casts of these Bigfoot molds around his uh, bulldozer, and then he went to the local uh, newspaper in like Redding, California, which was still quite a bit south and south of Manchester even. And he showed that to them, and he, he said, look, I'm finding these giant footprints. I don't know who's making them, what's going on. It's baffling me. 
And the newspaper asked him, they said, well, well, who do you think is making these giant footprints around your bulldozer? And he said, well, I guess I would call him Bigfoot. And that's how the name Bigfoot started. Uh, up till then, we didn't have, uh, in the United States, in Canada, they were calling him Sasquatch. And the, the, the giants and the, the, the hairy wild men, the, the ape men. But now the word Bigfoot entered our lexicon. And as I, you were saying from the back of my book, it's, it's everywhere today. Bigfoot is, is a giant marketing um, vehicle. He's making millions of dollars. Everyone knows about Bigfoot and who Bigfoot is, uh, what he's about, uh, uh, whether uh, they might have some opinion, whether he's real or not. But he's everywhere. And, it, and ultimately, in the last 50 years, he's come so much into our consciousness. And in, in my mind, Bob, Bigfoot's out there. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I, I agree with you. Uh, there, I believe, there. In my opinion, there has been a cover-up on this, and it's gone for a long time. I also uh, like. I guess this is a not a photo, but of of drawing of Jacko, Jacko the Ape Boy. Right, Jacko is. Um, and uh, Ivan T. Sanderson first wrote about that in his book, Abominable Snowman: Legend Come to Life. And that was a story also from the uh, 1800s. There's no photos of Jacko, but he's a very similar story to the 1877 uh, Bigfoot that was captured in Pennsylvania and allegedly exhibited in, in Washington, D.C. by the Smithsonian. Jacko was found by railway workers in British Columbia. It was, it was the 1860s, and he was a young Bigfoot. Uh, British Columbia is, is a hotbed of, of Bigfoot activity. There, there are certain areas there that, um, even today, where there's just so much Bigfoot. And then oftentimes it's, it's near Indian reservations. Um, American Native Americans uh, pretty much accept Bigfoot, and they've known about them for, for hundreds and hundreds of years. And they live largely in, in harmony with, with Bigfoot. Uh, they totally accept his that he's around and they respect him. Uh, there's an interesting story along those lines of a Hoopa Indian woman who lived by herself, uh, as most of them do up there. This is also in the Bluff Creek area, near to where Jerry Crew found the footprints, near to where Roger Patterson took his uh, famous footage, although that w- it wasn't actually taken by Roger. It was taken by a guy named Bob Giblin. Giblin. But she said, and I have this in the book, and my book goes really chronologically, year by year, uh, talking about significant Bigfoot sightings for, for each year. Um, and as we get, you know, as we get closer to our own time, there's, there's literally sightings virtually every year. Uh, back in the 40s and 50s, there were, we didn't really collect sightings for all those years. This was a woman uh, in, near Hoopa Reservation, and she claimed that Bigfoot was coming up to her house. She lived by herself. And that one day she finally met Bigfoot, and he walked up to the uh, sort of. She had like a little small fence and gate in front of her modest little cottage where she lived. It was like nine in the evening. 
Uh, she had already seen Bigfoot, and he just walked up to her, and he stood in front of her, and she stood there at the door of her house looking at him, and, and she wasn't afraid. Most people are extremely afraid when they see Bigfoot. I mean, they're, you're, uh, it's the most frightening thing that's ever happened to you. Uh, it's, it's one of the, uh, the, the things that I've found out the most in interviewing people about Bigfoot, uh, which is you know, what I've really done. I've not had that many real experiences myself. Um, I'm interviewing. She was not afraid, and she tried to speak to Bigfoot. Yeah, she did. And and but he would not speak. He just looked at her. He had nothing to say, and then he he walked away without without harming her. It, it Bigfoot doesn't speak. Uh, he makes whistling noises. They make a kind of a chattering noise. They make screams and growls. Uh, they're afraid of fire. Um, they but it was interesting that she tried to speak to him. And he just looked at her, and, and they walked away. Um, so it's interesting. There's many stories, too, of, of Bigfoot. Is, he's not so much afraid of women. Uh, there's interesting stories of solitary women, uh, older women, who often widows or something, who live uh, uh, kind of remote places, also in the Midwest. And they have a uh, maybe an orchard. And so there's, there's a famous story in Illinois where the woman she had an orchard and she would see Bigfoot coming to her orchard from her back porch, and he would look at her and she would look at him, and he would take apples from her orchard, and she developed a relationship with him where she wasn't wasn't really so afraid and had seen him a number of times, and he began she said to leave dead rabbits for her oh, nice. uh, as a present for yeah. the apples that he was taking from her orchard. And, and there was another almost identical story out of Georgia where a similar thing was happening where a woman owned a, a peach orchard and, and developed a, a kind of friendly relationship, in a sense, with, with Bigfoot, who in, in these cases is, is curious. He's, uh, that's one thing you can say about Bigfoot. He's, he's curious about humans. He knows now to to stay away uh, in some ways, they're interested. They, they, that's why I keep talking about Bigfoot Nation. There's, he's, he's watching and from the shadows. He's, he's there at lonely uh, little highway. We have, a, we have a little tape here on one of the sounds that Bigfoot allegedly makes. Let's take a listen to that. Okay. All right. So here we have Bigfoot grunting. Uh, we had another one, didn't we, Lars? Let's play. All right. So there we have him singing. Thank you very much, Lars. All right. I, I don't know if you heard me when I was talking there, did you? I heard the Bigfoot howling there in the distance. Bigfoot is often outside in the woods. There's even a journal that's been published uh, about called uh, Wood Knocks. He's, he makes a knocking sound. We have him out here in the, the mountains of, of eastern Arizona, uh, where he's known as the Mogollon Monster. And we have the Mogollon Rim. This, Arizona's a large state, and much of the south and southwest is desert. 
But the eastern parts of Arizona are, are mountain areas, thick forests, uh, the ski areas and stuff like that. The White Mountain Apache Reservation is in that area. And there's many stories of, of Bigfoot, what we call the Mogollon Monster. And he's, he's, he screams at night. There's a lot of camping uh, in this area, but there's not many towns. Payson or Snowflake or Heber. These are... These, some of the few towns in this huge remote area. It's also where Travis Walton oh, Travis, was yeah. uh, picked up by that UFO. Has he been on your show, Bob? Oh, sure, a couple of times. But we need to take one more break, the last one of this hour, uh, with our guest David Hatcher Childress, Bigfoot Nation, History of Sasquatch in North America, Adventures Unlimited Press. This is Travis Walton, the author of Fire in the Sky and the subject of the movie by the same name. And you're listening to 21st Century Radio, hosted by Dr. Bob Hieronymus. Thank you. Let's get right back to our guest. What about, oh, we gosh, Rudy, we got to get going. Chapter 4 is about 1900 to 1949. What are the reports from that particular time? Well, we have a the famous report of Albert Osman, who was uh, kidnapped, supposedly. It's a famous story, and Ivan T. Sanderson tells that. Uh, we have also the stories of, um, and, and there's, of course, a number in the book, um, and, and one good photo, the stories of Mount St. Helens. And it turns out that Mount St. Helens itself is uh, a hotbed of area. Mount St. Helens is in Oregon, uh, famously blew up in 1982 or something, and early reports were that in, also in the 1800s when one of this British explorer went into that area and the Indian tribes told him, they said, oh, don't go near Mount St. Helens, it's got these hairy giants and they're cannibals and stuff, it's very dangerous, and he tried to get them to take him there and pay guys and they, they refused to take him into that area, and Mount St. Helens area is it's never been really um, populated, and there's only just small little tourist towns and stuff like like that there. So you have a, a famous Mount St. Helens attack where they in, in a place called Ape Canyon. That was in the 1920s. Uh, in that story, these there was like three uh, prospectors who had gone into the Mount St. Helens area. And they had encountered Bigfoot. They were armed with rifles and whatnot, uh, fought with Bigfoot. They, Bigfoot at night attacked them. They had built a cabin. Be, uh, several Bigfoot jumped on the uh, roof of the cabin, and, and they famously had this big kind of overnight shootout uh, with, with several Bigfoot and several guys. And in the end, they were scared, and when daylight came, they finally left and uh, took off, and it was in the Oregon newspapers and things like that. Uh, the Albert Osman story is a curious one because we had an earlier story that I talk about in the in the book, which is from the late 1800s of a woman in British Columbia, and she claims that she was kidnapped by Sasquatch, taken to a remote valley. She was held there for a year where they, they kept her fed, she said, and then uh, brought her back to... Her, her remote village, where she, she was not exactly starving, but was was quite sick, 
And the story is, uh, I tell in the book, and comes from well-known Canadian stories, that she then gave birth that night as she came back, at it, but it was stillborn, and it was, uh, in this case, a half Bigfoot, half human type of uh, baby. In this case, it was it was dead. In theory, people can uh, uh, have a Bigfoot human child. Orangutans and and chimpanzees are also their their chromosomes are very similar to ours. A, Certainly, stories of Yetis and of and of Bigfoot are that Bigfoot is interested in humans. He's a kind of a missing link. He has a sexual attraction to to human females and young ones. And uh, in this in this case, it was a woman. She was yeah basically kidnapped. There's a famous Yeti story like that in Nepal, which I write about in my book on Yetis, uh, hairy giants, Sasquatch, and hairy giants, which that book came out in, in 2005. The Albert Osman one is a curious story because it's where he's kidnapped by a Bigfoot family to be uh, for as a husband for this Bigfoot woman. And his story is that he was a prospector in a remote uh, area of, of western British Columbia. Uh, that area is still remote today. That's a, that's a heavy Sasquatch area. And, uh, Canadians know it well. Sasquatch is a big deal up in Canada, just like like Bigfoot is down here in the United States. And um, but he was kidnapped. He was he was by himself. He was supposedly taken in his sleeping bag over these mountains. He was thrown over the shoulder in the middle of the night by a big Bigfoot, and then taken to a box canyon where he was kept captive. And it was his story was that he was there to. Uh, for this uh, lonely uh, uh, female teenage Bigfoot who was part of the family. And uh, there was a young kid there, too. It was, so there was like a, a mom, a dad, Bigfoot. He was kidnapped by the dad. And then there was this female Bigfoot and then like a younger male. And he still, because he had been taken in his sleeping bag, he still had a few supplies with him, like a, a big stick of tobacco and stuff. And he claims that, yeah, he, I mean, when he tried to leave, they were friendly to him and they fed him and stuff. But he, they want, wanted him to stay and be part of the family. That was his claim. This was all in the 1920s, a uh, remote part of British Columbia. He escaped in the end. And he, by, they became curious about this plug of tobacco that he had. Uh, the, the Bigfoot ate some of it, made him sick. And then this guy was basically able to escape. This is a famous story and uh, told in a lot of Bigfoot books, I admit, um, including Glover Krantz's and even I, Ivan T. Sanderson talks about it. But it's interesting here, this, this sexual attraction that Bigfoot seems to have with people. Uh, in these stories, Bigfoot is very much a, a human missing link type animal. He eats. He has sex. Uh, he's... Uh, Harry Critter, he doesn't have, uh, they don't have fire. Um, they don't have the vocal cords that we have. They're incredibly powerful. Uh, it's, the, it's the world of Bigfoot, and it's, it's right out there on the fringes of our society. I'm, I'm convinced that Bigfoot's really uh, like coyotes. He, he's in every state. He, he's in Maryland. He's in Rhode Island. He's, he's out there in Pennsylvania and, and uh, North Carolina and down into the swamps of, uh, of Florida and the Southwest. 
He's in the cornfields. He's up in northern Michigan. He's in California. He's in New Mexico and and in and Texas. We, you, uh, it's amazing the the stories of Bigfoot. How how many there are. All the incredible tales. I I couldn't even put them all in my book. Oh, uh, I was also curious. It was always curious to to learn about the the older Bigfoot big Bigfoots. <laughs> Uh, uh, that are generally white, having a very rough time in their, in their last years. Could you talk a little bit about that in the time we have left in this hour? Yeah, yeah, right, Bob, sure. Um, and I, I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, the the rogue Bigfoot, um, the stories began surfacing in the, in the 60s and 70s and 80s of truck drivers throughout the United States and, and Canada uh, reporting, uh, particularly back when CB radio stuff was popular and uh, all those co- convoys and people would call, re- truckers would call into radio stations and stuff like that. And they would see this, oftentimes a very large, tall, white-haired Bigfoot, uh, probably a male, uh, again, uh, him being snow-white hair, uh, like some kind of uh, Yeti poster or something. Yeah. But he is apparently some older Bigfoot who's getting quite old. He's gray-haired, white-haired now. Uh, as other animals do, this happens to lions and, and things like that. You're, and you're an older male. You're no longer a dominant male. And you're forced out of this tribe or whatever you've been living in. And these, these older white males, they become uh, rogues. They're they're cast out of wherever they're, they're this cluster of Bigfoot that they're living with, and we we got to stop now. It's the end of the hour, and we come back. We'll continue our talk about the older Bigfoots, and also go into the year 1950 to 1999. Cases on Bigfoot with David Hatcher Childress and Bigfoot Nation. Well, welcome back to 21st Century Radio. Our guest is David Hatcher Childress. Bigfoot Nation, the history of Sasquatch in North America, Adventures Unlimited Press. This is a fantastic book, friends. Are you with us again, David? Yeah, Bob, I'm here. All right. Now, we're let's move into uh, Chapter 5, about 1950 to 1999, which you say is the heydays. What are the reports like from this time? The heyday of Bigfoot, and uh, that was an article... In our magazine, World Explorer, which you mentioned earlier, um, and, and we have a lot of cryptozoology uh, stories and, and Bigfoot news. It comes out three times a year. And that, I call that the heyday years, really starting in the 50s with Jerry Crew finding the, the footprints and coining the term Bigfoot, uh, the news media jumping on it. And then ultimately, then it was it was Roger Patterson uh, in the same area where Jerry Crew had originally found uh, the big footprints around his bulldozer. This is the Bluff Creek area of Northern California, right near the Oregon border. And so it was in it was October twentieth, nineteen sixty seven, when Roger Patterson he had he had a sixteen millimeter camera with him. He was with a friend named Bob Giblin, Gimlin, uh, who's still alive. I just saw him at an alien con in uh, Pasadena in, in July. That was great to see him. 
he's still out there. Uh, Roger Patterson died in, in the 70s. He took the footage. Uh, he's credited with that. He, he didn't have the copyright for that. For some reason, a Canadian guy named Rene DeHinden, uh, he owned the copyright to that footage. But it's the famous footage. Uh, they suddenly uh, saw the, uh, this Bigfoot. It's a, it's a female Bigfoot. Uh, a lot of people don't realize that. Um, there's been some suggestion that there was a male there, and he was actually shot and killed. Um, I don't know if that's that's the case, but I was told that by somebody once. The, in the movie footage, and then so all those and the photos are in the book. The 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 the, the female book Bigfoot is walking in, in the daylight through these trees uh, along this creek, and turns, looks at the camera, turns back, keeps walking. And you see her breasts. She, it's a, it's a female. There's a she has a certain way of walking too that's unusual. And her her back foot comes up very high uh, to the point where you can actually see the bottom of the foot very clearly. And those are those are frames in the video that are, are very important. And I include them in the book because you can really see the bottom of her foot very clearly. That footage is is so famous from 1967, and it's been shown over and over again. You can go on YouTube and 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 watch it. It's either extremely good uh, uh, hoaxing of a Bigfoot, and it's somebody in a Bigfoot costume or in a, in a gorilla costume. That's what it would have to be if it's not really Bigfoot. And that's where there there is one book that would, that came out. It was called The Hoaxing of Bigfoot. And uh, I have it. I discuss it in the book. And that's where they say that the the guy who some a guy named Bob Veronimus dressed up in a gorilla suit and went with them to Bluff Creek, California, and he wore the gorilla suit and pretended to be a female Bigfoot. And this is something that I I talk about in the book. And and we know it's not you, Bob. You're not. You're not. You're a different Bob Veronimus. We talked about that earlier. And I don't know. There's this would this was a Bob Veronimus from Washington State, I believe, and and back in 1967. I don't know how old you were back then, but we know it's not you. <laughs> but <laughs> uh, but here was the curious thing: was that they're actually claiming that not only is this an elaborate hoax, but for some reason these elaborate hoaxers decided to hoax a female Bigfoot. Now, why would you do that? Uh, that? That just makes your hoax more elaborate and more difficult to do. And uh, Carl Flock and these guys who are writing this this book were because it, it has to be a hoax. I mean, it's either real or it's a or it's a hoax. It's not a bear. This is part of the story too. Um, and you get this with Yetis, by the way, Bob. Uh, what? What the naysayers are basically saying about Bigfoot and, and the many, many claims. Up in Canada, and, and I would say in areas of Washington and Oregon and Northern California where Bigfoot is, is so well known that, I mean, people, just general population actually does kind of believe in it. Uh, definitely up in British Columbia and, and Canada, uh, I, I would say the majority of Canadians do believe in Bigfoot, Sasquatch. But it has to be either a hoax or it's or it's the real deal. And for all these stories to be hoaxes, it, it just doesn't make sense. 
But what they're saying then is what, what the is that it's a bear. People are looking at bears, and that's what Reinhard Messner, the the famous Austrian mountain climber who who solo climbed Mount Everest by himself without oxygen. He's he's probably the most famous uh, high mountaineer climber in the world. I, I myself was a technical climber in the Himalayas, and I, I follow mountaineering, and I've, I've spent a lot of time actually in the Him- Himalayas and, and in, in Nepal, Tibet as well. He wrote a book called The Quest for the Yeti, and he now his book is an interesting one, and I, I discuss it more in my Yeti book rather than Bigfoot Nation, but in the end, even though he gives us some pretty, I thought, fascinating stories of Yetis that, that were pretty strange, and I repeat them in my Yeti book, but he concluded in the end that Yetis were bears oh, and that, that people were just mistaking a bear, a Himalayan brown bear, that is standing on its two legs and, and kind of threatening you on the trail or something for this giant hairy ape man, which is the Yeti, which is what we would call Bigfoot or, or Sasquatch. So now, so here's the skeptics. They're basically saying, okay, we've got these stories of people who think they've seen a Bigfoot. They've had some kind of encounter with a, a giant, mean, I mean, you know, it, it, it thinks nine feet tall. It's ten feet tall. It's covered with hair. It's, it's roaring. It's scaring, you know, you, everything out of you. But what you're really seeing is a bear. You're seeing a bear that's standing up on its two legs. It's scaring you, and you're, you're, you're just mistaken. You don't know a bear when you see one. And bears do stand on two legs, and they will walk forward you like a man, but they can only do that for a short distance. And as we all know, bears are running around on their, you know, their forelegs normally. But it, it, it's absolutely true that bears stand up on two legs. But the idea that all of these reports, of Yetis and Bigfoot and Sasquatch are really mistaken reports of people encountering bears is is ridiculous. And, I mean, basically what they're saying is that, okay, it's, it's all hoaxes and, uh, and, and people's just oddball encounters with bears where they don't realize they're, they're seeing a bear. Well, let me tell you, most of these people, rangers and other uh, types who are hiking in the woods, myself included, um, and and now well, well we can get into the photos and the footprints that's actually different. They know a bear when they see one. They they know they're not encountering a bear, and in fact they they know it's really some kind of a gorilla. This brings me another point, Bob, uh, to bring up, which is which is a very good one. People are often ask me they uh, a very good question, and it's an extremely reasonable one to ask. They say, well look if. If, if Bigfoot is really out there and running around and, and he's eating cattails and he's eating frogs and he's eating geese, they kill deer and they, they eat them. That's, they're, they eat all kinds of stuff. Why aren't we seeing dead ones? Why don't you discover uh, we, we see a dead, or the, the ranger doesn't see some dead Bigfoot, you know, uh, by the side of the trail or something like that? Um, you know, we would, rangers and stuff like that would encounter them. Well, that's not really true. It's a good point to make and a good question to ask, but it's wrong. If you're walking down the woods, and I've spent a lot of time hiking all over the, 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 the West and, and whatnot, you will never see a dead bear on the side of the road, a trail. 
You'll never see a dead mountain lion right. out there. You'll never encounter that. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though we know mountain lions and bears are out there, you're not going to see a dead one. Uh, they go to some remote area, a little um, box canyon or wherever, and die. And then they're gone within a few days, just uh, the, the carrion birds and whatnot. They're, they're gone. You're not going to see those things. So the idea that you would see a dead uh, Bigfoot just lying there, now, some hit by cars, as we started to talk to about the, the break, and there are a lot of stories of that, and I talk about them in my book, where people are, are driving down the road. That's a very common story. They're driving down the road, and uh, Bigfoot suddenly runs in front of them and crosses the road and in Washington State or Oregon. It can be in, in Michigan, all over the place. It can be right there in Maryland. So it's a very common story. That, and there are stories of Bigfoot being hit by cars and whatnot, so he's out there. These white-haired Bigfoot that are are often seen by truck drivers and they near towns. They become these rogue Bigfoot. They're they're. This is what I theorize. They they, they are less afraid of, of uh, going to human towns and villages. They become dumpster diving. They're they're heading around uh, highways and truck stops. Um, Areas that normal Bigfoot would probably avoid that, but they're they're they've been cast out of society, and they're roaming around. Um, I have all kinds of reports of this in my book of people uh, in remote areas of, all over the country, New Mexico and and whatnot, where they're seeing literally uh, Bigfoot hanging out by uh, under a streetlight near a dumpster in this you know some remote town near a Indian reservation in New Mexico or something. So these are typical, Bob. Well, there's. Uh, I really did appreciate one area of your book when you talk about the. I believe his name is Ivan Marks, the hoaxer. Right, Ivan Marks. Now, well, look, I, we we won't have enough time to get to him yet because we're coming upon a break. So okay, but I wanted to say I want to get into this when we come back. And that mainly, mainly because I had him on, and I okay. I, I wondered if you ever had him. Yeah, okay. Is that right? So. Yeah, and I was very unhappy about the the whole situation. That was twenty some years ago, uh, but I but I really appreciated your analysis of his work and how you went about it, which showed to me uh, an extreme amount of care in 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 trying to weed out what was going on in that particular situation. Because that's right. Yeah, and his he had that oddball movie legend of bigfoot and, and which is fascinating to watch yeah 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 it's <laughs> just about fascinating <laughs> it's a okay. it's a gas yeah <laughs> well time out here on the playing field and as a matter of fact we have time out to present to you a uh, pennsylvania recording of bigfoot screaming whoops oh we already did it do it again here we go with bigfoot screaming in pennsylvania at a set of tracks newly made in the fresh snow. And they'd passed so close to our shelter that the thing must have known we were there. They weren't the tracks of a bear or an ape, but more like a splay-footed naked foot. The tracks of the abominable snowman. Oops, excuse me. Our guest is 
David Hatcher Childress, Bigfoot Nation, History of Sasquatch in North America. And we were just touching a little bit on a hoaxer by the name of Ivan Marks, uh, which uh, we had on 21st Century Radio uh, many, many years ago, 20-some years ago or something. And um, I just just could not believe this man after that particular conversation. Uh, would you like to say anything about Ivan Marks before we go into... 1950 to 1999. <laughs> right. Well, I'd like to hear your uh, just story about him uh, briefly. Uh, but, yeah, he was famous for uh, doing some Bigfoot hoaxes and, and a movie in particular. He got involved with really genuine uh, Bigfoot material, the, what they called the Bosberg Cripple and... Uh, some handprints, too, with, with Grover Krantz. Talked about that. He was involved with Grover, and he probably talked about that on your show. And and that was in, like, 72, early 70s. But he then produced this fake video movie that was, like, shown at Elf Clubs. And it was one of those back in the 70s uh, and 60s Elks Clubs and and colleges and high schools would sometimes have these sort of wild kingdom type documentaries that were sort of homespun, uh, oftentimes 16 millimeter films or something of, oftentimes they were hunting or something, some strange adventure. And, and Marx's movie came out 77, I think, and uh, called Legend of Bigfoot. And it was like a 90 minute film where he goes all over finding Bigfoot, shooting shooting pictures of Bigfoot taking, um, you know, showers or washing himself in streams and and things. He goes up to Canada and does it. But but most of the film is, is really, you know, like a big hoax, really, and, and kind of laughable when you when you watch it. And I mean, it's, it's funny to see. Um, and I'd be interested, well, you know, what he said on your show when you talked to him. Well, I did not believe the uh, the the photo of the Bigfoot taking a shower. Uh, for some reason, it, it just seemed to me that um, well, if anything could easily be hoaxed, that that's what I thought could be hoaxed. And and of course, as you said, uh, within uh, your analysis uh, of him, he was out to make money. That was the key. That was his that was his concern, wasn't it? Well, certainly later on. I mean, I think, and he knew Roger Patterson. I, I never knew Ivan Marks or talked to him. And and you've talked to um, Grover, I think. Sure. I, I think that a lot of these guys, including Rene DeHinden, who ultimately owned the copyright to Patterson footage. He's dead now, but he lived for many years by by charging for the use of. Any of those photos or the film footage. So a lot of these guys, including my Ivan Marks, realized, hey, there was some money to be made. I, I can't say any of them ever got rich, you know, writing a Bigfoot or or faking Bigfoot things. In in Ivan Marks's case, yeah, he's he's a little bit of a, a stigma on Bigfoot research because most of these guys are sincere. And yeah, even are. Ivan Marks, I believe, you know, was sincere originally, but in the end, he he was trying to cash in, and he made that 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 film. It's worth watching just as a you know, for a few laughs, ultimately. 
Yeah, I, I, I agree. But I just like the way you analyzed it and another from the standpoint as to credibility. Um you didn't right. you and, didn't and actually, you didn't I mean, attack him you didn't attack him on emotional things and things like that. You and that that's uh, your your work is outstanding in, in in the area of of credibility. You work towards that and your reputation is in, is very good. Well, I thank well thank you for that, Bob, and I you know, I appreciate that. In all these cases uh with Bigfoot um ancient aliens Atlantis, uh, crop circles, different paranormal things. Uh, There's something to all of it in my mind, but there are hoaxes. There are people out there who will lie and pretend that they've had experiences when, when it, you know, it it would seem that they really haven't. Uh, Sometimes people believe in strange things and that things have happened to them and they honestly believe it, but evidence shows that that didn't happen. I think that's, you know, what people like you and I are doing and all your listeners and uh, the this whole big audience out there who watch Ancient Aliens. We're all thinkers. We, we're scientific. We're knowledgeable. You, you can't really be into these subjects, in my mind, without really, you know, being a pretty smart person and, and having a lot of interest in many things. And including science uh, and, and and whatnot. So we're looking at this, and we want the evidence. We want to see what's real. Uh, I, you know, I, I'm not just going to believe in anything because it's strange or or weird. But many strange and weird things, that, as you know, are true. Mm-hmm. We live in a fan- incredible universe and a fantastic world full of all kinds of amazing things happening to everybody all the time. Um, well, another many of the claims, you know, are are to be doubted, shall we say? Well, I'm used to being doubted in everything, uh, <laughs> especially here on the East Coast and the West Coast. I'm not being doubted. Uh, I think th- you know when it comes to Bigfoot uh, as a once you're, and I'm more of a West Coast person and a Pacific Northwest. I went to high school in Missoula, Montana, um, and uh, you know we always. We all saw Seattle as sort of our, you know, the big city and, and whatnot, and, and Seattle's a great place. My brother actually lives in Seattle now, works for Boeing. But in the Pacific Northwest, and, and definitely very much in Western Canada, it's, you know, the subject of Bigfoot, uh, Sasquatch, or whatnot, is a more normal subject than it would be on the East Coast, and even in the Midwest, where people are just like, well, you know, Bigfoot... Um, can he really be out there running around in these, you know, creeks and gullies and things like that? It's interesting to think of the Midwest that way. I, our main office uh, for Adventures Unlimited and the World Explorers Club is actually in a small town south of Chicago called Kempton. And it's, we're out there in the cornfields. We're, we're actually away from the major rivers in Illinois. But let me tell you, I, and I'm not from the Midwest at all. Um, I'm really from Colorado and Montana. And now I live in Arizona, but I also live in Illinois. And I was surprised that, yeah, Illinois and Iowa and Indiana and Mississippi, all these places, Missouri, they have their Bigfoot stories, too. There's a lot of them. Yeah. Uh, we Around uh, a town called Seneca, Illinois, is also uh, one of these 
areas where Bigfoot gets a special name. There he's called the Seneca uh, DuPont Monster, after the DuPont Dynamite Chemical Company. Mm -hmm. And it's because near Seneca, Illinois, is this DuPont Dynamite area uh, that's been there for, for years. It's along the Illinois River. It's a huge wooded area. That's and and all the area around it is also remote farmlands. There's there's one little town uh, that has a marina called Seneca, Illinois, but the rest is is quite wilderness area area there. Uh, heavy bushes and things. Uh, once you get away from the river, you do start to get farms with cornfields and soybean fields and stuff. But that area is a hotbed of of Bigfoot activity. It was in the news in 2005 where there's a lover's lane in that area, and, and people, they all know about Bigfoot there. I mean, to the point where he has a, his own special name. And this lover's lane, it, it got in the Chicago newspapers. It became such a big deal. This couple are there uh, making out in the back seat and whatnot, and suddenly Bigfoot's there looking in the window going, hey, what's going on? <laughs> and it's 1 o'clock in the morning. Um, I've been to this spot, and it's a an area where people see Bigfoot a lot, and it's right near this DuPont uh, dynamite factory. And as part of the thing, they have to keep dynamite in, in these remote um, bunkers. Uh, and so it's a private woods where, uh, rather than, say, a national forest or something like that. But Bigfoot is there looking in the window going, hey, what's, what's happening? And he was apparently brought there just by the, the, the smell of, of sex, in a sense. And he's there wanting to know what, what's happening. And uh, and the woman totally freaked out. Uh, immediately they jumped up. I mean, this is totally out of some 1950s, you know, a horror movie or something where Bigfoot the boogeyman is, is interrupting, you know, some teenage couple or making out. And they go to the police. And I mean, she insists on making a report about Bigfoot. And it gets in the Chicago Tribune. Uh, which is, you know, they're not normally going to be running some stories about Bigfoot. So I went there to investigate it uh, a couple of years later, and they were all like, oh, yeah, we know about Bigfoot here. And uh, it, I found it. I was surprised at just how common Bigfoot stories were, it, particularly in that area, and how the people in that town, they basically all accepted the idea that Bigfoot was out there. They joke, Bob, you know, that uh, the coyotes are in every state in the continental U.S. They're, they're right there, you know, in the suburbs of Washington, D.C. They're, they're there in Rhode Island and Maryland and Connecticut. Uh, you name it, there's some coyote. And it's like a Bigfoot's there, too. He's curious. He, he stays on the fringes of, of, of civilization. Uh, it, it, it behooves him to sort of go dumpster diving and check things out. They're curious, too, about us. I mean, we we fascinate them. Uh, but, yeah, they, they remain secret from us. They, they know uh, not to expose themselves, although they're still seen. More and more we're getting photographs of Bigfoot, and it's because people are carrying cameras with them all the time. Yeah. Also, yeah. people are buying these nature cams now, and they've been in the, on the market only for about 10 years or something. And people put them out in their backyards in Kentucky and other places, uh, thinking they're going to get some cute pictures of raccoons and, and whatnot coming onto their backwoods property. 
And, um, you know, you buy them through National Geographic or these things, and they just take these automatic cameras, at not, photos at night and stuff, and people are actually getting pictures of uh, Bigfoot and stuff. Uh, and in one case, like in Kentucky, they, re- they called the local uh, rangers and stuff and said, hey, I, I got a picture. My, my trail cam took a picture of a gorilla in my backyard. You know, is there some? Do we have gorillas out here? And you know, the forest rangers are saying, "Oh no, you know, the, the, we don't know what you're talking about." So well, here you go. And well, I you put know, those photos in the book. You know, one of the other things I enjoyed, and we're coming upon another break here in a couple of minutes. But uh, Bigfoot, does he have any uh, pets or or animal friends? Could you talk a little bit about that for a minute or two? Yes, right. Uh, yeah, I'm glad you brought that up, and. Uh, that's a fascinating part about Bigfoot as I doing doing this book was finding that there were these interesting cases of Bigfoot having sometimes a dog or what was perhaps a wolf with him uh, like that Bigfoot had some pets in some cases uh, I particularly as I was pouring through all the different accounts I whenever I would see that I, I was like okay I was looking for unusual things like that Bigfoot also associated with, with UFOs and things. I talk a little bit about that in the book, but there's not so much. There's the famous account in Minerva, Ohio, which was in 1978, uh, and they made um, uh, a, like a local movie just recently because it's one of the more unusual Bigfoot encounters. It went on uh, over a, a series of nights in Minerva, Ohio, and they were looking at, it was a, a very tall Bigfoot, over 10 feet. Uh, he would have been seen, there was, it was a rural community uh, around a bunch of farms. And eventually, a bunch of people finally stood and, and they saw this Bigfoot standing there across this field for them. Uh, and just looking at them, you have occasionally, uh, and this is a typical thing, these, uh, a stare down of a sort. It usually doesn't last too long of you and Bigfoot and off across a field or something. And Bigfoot, in this case, had two black cats, black panthers mm. on either side of him. So that, and that was an unusual encounter. Um, I'll say. Where, yeah, here's Bigfoot with, say, some cougars, uh, black cougars in this case. Uh, that's, that's, that's pretty strange. And that, you know, that's perhaps something that you would call uh, a cult in a way. We don't really have Black Panthers in the upper North America. We have cougars. We do have big cats. Uh, they're not normally black. Black Panthers do exist in in Central America, I believe, um, and, and South America and whatnot. So that's pretty interesting. Uh, there are other reports of Bigfoot having uh, dogs, or or what is perhaps a wolf, and you, you would think that they had taken them as as you would as a little puppy, or and and raised them as as a pet. So that's an unusual thing. Awesome. Sometimes also Bigfoot's carrying something, um, a big stick or a club is often. He's sometimes been seen wearing like kind of an oddball vest, or like he's put somebody's old jacket on, <laughs> something like that. Uh, those are those are often oddball reports rather than just the the naked hairy Bigfoot that we think of who's you know eight or nine feet tall or something. 
we're, we're upon our last break of the hour, and when we return, you have several Bigfoot accounts that include UFOs. Let's touch on a couple of those when we return. Hi, this is Lauren Coleman, author of The Field Guide to Bigfoot and Cryptozoology A to Z. You're listening to 21st Century Radio with Dr. Bob Hieronymus. And we're back. I'm Dr. Bob Hieronymus, and you're listening to 21st Century Radio. Learn more about us at www.21stCenturyRadio.com. There are Bigfoot accounts that include UFOs. For example, on page 153, you review a September 1989 account in, I think it's called Tillamook, Oregon. Could you tell us about that experience? Yeah, sure, Bob. Uh, yeah, I, I talk about a few unusual accounts in the book where Bigfoot is seen around UFOs and flying saucers and things. Um, yeah, in that that story was from September of 1989 uh, near a rural area near Tillamook, Oregon. And the woman, she was with her granddaughter. And she stepped out of. She heard a noise. She stepped out of her house. And then she saw this UFO that was hovering like a flying top just above the ground. And it had a flat bottom and bright yellow-white light shining on, on both ends of the craft. And then she walked towards it. And she got within about 30 feet of the craft. And then a door opened, she said, on the craft, revealing a, a blonde human-type person uh, with fair skin and uh, average height and, and blue eyes, looking kind of like a Nordic, uh, normal human, uh, uh, blonde. And they were wearing silver overalls. And then she noticed that from a window next to the door, there was this big, hairy, Bigfoot-type creature that was sitting there in a chair and was only visible from the chest up. And she looked at this. And she was just, you know, totally astounded. Here was this flying saucer with what seemed to be a, a Bigfoot sitting in it uh, in a chair. Now, whether this Bigfoot was, like, piloting the craft, uh, uh, I kind of doubt that myself. But there's other stories in there, too. And, in fact, another one is that it's from the summer of, of that same year, 1989. And this was in Sedona, Arizona. Uh, famous for all of its interdimensional uh, new agey stuff. And this person then was taking a hike, and they looked up and they saw what they thought was this, seemed like an interdimensional type doorway. Um, up and there's, you have these red rock cliffs that are around there. And that there was a person standing there, and, and that guarding them, it seemed like, was uh, uh, two Bigfoot creatures that were like sitting there and is standing near this this window well uh, uh they were like nine foot and kind of standing there uh, again almost like bodyguards or or something like that yeah we have in with star wars the whole this popular concept of chewbacca and uh, him being this uh, spaceship piloting ray gun toting uh, bigfoot wookie i mean he's Kind of clearly, a very much a, 
a Bigfoot character. He doesn't really talk. He growls and kind of makes these, these noises, although he's pretty smart. You wonder how just how smart Bigfoot can really be, and the whole idea that, that Bigfoot himself is, is flying, flying saucers uh, through the universe, jumping out with his ray gun, and like in Star Wars, it's a little bit hard for me to, to quite access. And I wonder if instead it's something like where Bigfoot is, is some kind of bodyguard, genetically engineered, used to protect people. Um, there's a very strange story that also comes from Mount St. Helens, which is, we talked about this earlier, it's, it, Mount St. Helens is known to be uh, a heavy concentrated area of Bigfoot activity. When Mount St. Helens blew up in the early 80s, it sent this pyroclastic flow of, of super hot gases down the mountain, and it, it, it set entire forests on fire and, and instantly incinerated all of these animals, including, including humans, too. Um, but all these bears and, and deer and whatnot were also instantly incinerated, thousands of animals over a wide area. And certain witnesses claim they saw later the U.S. Army landing at certain parts of Mount St. Helens with helicopters, and that what, they, what was happening was that there were all these dead animals who had been instantly incinerated by the pyroclastic flow from the volcanic explosion, and that some of the dead animals were Bigfoot. And people witnessed then the Army taking dead Bigfoot and putting them on helicopters and flying them away. That's a, an amazing story, and that even someone would, would like, just make that up is pretty fantastic. Uh, they were imaginative, but it kind of makes sense. And you would think that something like this did happen. And if that's the case, if the U.S. Army actually had dead Bigfoot, it would, according to this story, that's basically what they had, what would they do with that? Well, they've got the ability to clone Bigfoot. Uh, now we're looking at some Hollywood uh, Halloween horror movie where U.S. Army is cloning Bigfoot, looking for their super soldier. Bigfoot's, you know, this Bigfoot's got an implant in the back of his brain and some antenna. They've, they've somehow figured out how to control Bigfoot, turn him on and off. Um, he might be a good sergeant of arms to, you know, jump out of flying saucers, you know, first. I don't know. Your show, you've had lots of, uh, you know, interesting guests with some pretty alarming statements and stuff like that. I, you know, I don't really, I, I don't know that this is really the case, what I'm saying right now, but let me tell you, it's quite possible. Well, there I've been I've been reading a lot of other research material and one thing that popped into my hands 20 years ago was a book called The Raw Material. Uh, uh, okay, right. Yeah, I am um, I'm sort of familiar with those books. Yeah. I am so glad you are. I am so glad you are. Cuz everybody else I talk to about this uh, doubts that it even exists. Uh but of course Yeah, there's a series of those books. I there's like four or five volumes. Yeah. Yeah, and 
Um, they do talk about Bigfoot in those books. Oh, yes. You know? they, basically, they come out and say uh, that Bigfoot uh, comes from Mars. The, uh, the tech- okay, is that what they say in there? Okay, yeah. the Bigfoot's from Mars. That's interesting. Okay. <laughs> Isn't that something? And but but also they and they load him up with seeds and things, and he isn't that part of it? Yeah, yeah. Well, the, also the uh, they review uh, a lot about it, what they were created for, and they allegedly were created for. If our DNA goes, then they'll have use the DNA of them to continue human-like beings. Um, now, that's, uh, you know, I, I, I have no way of being able to, to, to attach myself to believing this. But I have enjoyed other aspects of what the raw material talk about and I've found is substantially correct. But this is an area that is very peculiar because so much right now is uh, going on on the Internet. And I'm sure you're well aware of what's happening in regards to to Mars from the standpoint of not only thinking about our returning to it, but but the fact that um, there have been suggestions going all the way back to 1962 uh, when we uh, discussed this particular project dealing it was it was actually something from England I'm trying to remember the name of it but it's not coming right now uh, and that basically indicated or suggested that we arrived on Mars in 1962 and the first, one of the first things they saw and there was a movie the, called Alternative 3 and we had um, uh, obviously I've, I've seen it a number of times. I'm sure you have too. Yeah, I've yeah I've seen that. And of course, uh, the, in that movie, it shows a, one little segment in which they are looking out at Mars and they see a, a, a creature, a small creature, moving, moving along under the ground. So then they claim that they there is life on Mars. Allegedly, uh, yeah, they're that, like some worms or something big. Martian worms under the surface, if I remember correctly. Yes, that's that's correct. And and uh, also, uh, what what are some of the? If you go up to the internet right now, you got to be really careful up there. Uh, but there are photographs and movie films that are going on all the time uh, in regards to Mars, showing you things that are on Mars. Now, I don't. Have you seen any of those? Well, of course, and um, I think the idea. The idea that Bigfoot is from Mars is a, is a curious one. Um, most people would think that Mars did hold life in the past, um, but it's more of a desert planet and has been drying up, and that life on Mars is probably, um, you know, be is, is struggling. But there would there's still life on Mars. That Bigfoot is from Mars, I would say. I mean, it would be from a Mars of the ancient past that was quite different from today. For certain, And And yes. we know that, uh, that, anyway, Bigfoot stories go back uh, hundreds of years, for, for sure. There's no question about that. What's been, been the most surprising thing to you in regards to all this research on Bigfoot, Sasquatch, etc.? Well, I think what's interesting is that uh, Bigfoot really is everywhere, 
tries to keep out of the, the limelight as much as he can, but um, uh, he's reported constantly, uh, monthly, weekly. We're now, because of the, the Internet and smartphones and everyone's carrying a camera, and we're all reporting, we're all reporters now, and we've all got our own web pages, and I think people aren't so much afraid to say that they've seen Bigfoot or that something weird happened to them. In the past, that was, that was more of a factor where people didn't want to seem gullible or uh, seem weird. Uh, and People are more open to the idea that, oh, I had this strange experience. Um, oh, I saw Bigfoot, uh, you know, the other night. Well, we're about out of time right here. I want to thank you, David, for joining us again. I hope you can come on our, our show again the next time, next book you come out with. Bigfoot Nation, the history of Sasquatch in North America. Get a copy. Get a couple of copies. You'll love it. And that's the end of the hour. 21st Century Radio is produced by Hieronymus and Company, and our executive producer and research assistant is Laura Kortner. I'm Dr. Bob Hieronymus, and remember to get a haircut.